If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Gisla Nilsson-Harding. Gisla is a dressage specialist, rider, trainer and coach, She's also an international three-star dressage judge. She's a mentor, a judge educator, and she spends some time judging internationally and interstate. How are you, Gisela? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Now, I know you've got a great quote for us. Would you like to tell us about it? Yes, it's a quote that reflects on how I feel. Here it goes. I call horses divine mirrors. They reflect back the emotions you put in. If you put in love and respect and kindness and curiosity, the horse will return that. Yeah. Now, this particular quote, because it is a very good one, and calling horses divine mirrors, I think, is perfect. Yeah. When did you first come across it? When did you first see it and go, right, that's the quote for me? Yeah, I just Googled it one day, you know, about horse quotes. And and I read a couple, and then when I read that, that's exactly how I feel and how some of the answers of your questions uh, have come, uh, not from that, but I've already Mm -hmm. written them before I saw the quotes. Okay, okay. So you already were thinking along those lines anyway. Exactly, Mm, that's what I mean. mm, mm. Good. Now, when did you first start with horses? Have you got your first memories of anything to do with horses? Well, I started to rise trot on two chairs with strings <laughs> for stirrups and strings for rain when I was about three years old. And I did that all day long. And in the end, my mother obviously thought, we've got to get this girl to a riding school. <laughs> and so they were leading me around and then they inside. And the riding instructor said, you know, just give her a little trot. So they did. And I could rise trot. So he said, she's not a beginner. Put her out with the others. But, of course, my chair never negotiated a corner, so in the first corner I fell off. <laughs> and my mum is up in the gallery thinking, oh, great, she's going to hate this and never want to come back. But mm. I just wanted to get back up. So I don't know if it is DNA. My grandfather on my mother's side was a very high soldier in the German cavalry, and he had many, many horses himself. So I suppose that's where it comes from, because none of my three older brothers ride or... But that's how it started. And you must have had some memory, though, you know, just to know that you rise trot on a horse. You know, who would have taught you that? Would it have been your grandfather that taught you how to do rise trot? Or No, because he was, he, I never met him. He was dead. I must have seen mm-hmm. it on, on film, movies. Okay. Probably all the, you know, the Western movies or sure. something like that. But that's what I did all that's, day long. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. You must have had a little bit of muscle strength or muscle in your legs. Yes. From there, I'm sure you would have progressed from there. Just tell us a little bit about that. But the most important question is this career with horses. When did you start to have a career with any type of horses? Was it when you first left school? Did you do something else first? What made you have a career with horses? Well, as I said, I always wanted to ride. So every Christmas or birthday, I just wanted money to have riding lessons, Mm -hmm. which I did. And then at the riding school, 
one of the owners there was a race trainer. And I decided then that I wanted to work with racehorses and be a rider and a strapper. So that's where I went straight from school to the racing stables. Okay. And I ended up being the manager in this particular racing stable. But then you gallop horses in minus 15 degrees. It's really, really painful. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I'm going to continue doing this, I can't stay in Sweden. Mm. And I had a brother down here in Australia. So I went to the Australian embassy and said, you know, I'd like to migrate, and but I'm a local racehorses. And he just laughed and opened up a newspaper. And he said, look, racing, racing, racing is one of the biggest industries in Australia. Mm. Mm. So I already had a position with Neville Begg at Randwick Racecourse. Oh, that's a good. So you went to a good trainer? Yep. I did, and I was also the first full-time employed female ever. Mm-hmm. And in those days, that was 1970, in those days I had to have $5 less than the guys. Okay, yes, yes. I was not allowed up on the grandstand because I was a female. <laughs> so you can imagine coming from Sweden, which is a bit different to that. Yes. So, But anyway, I was working with my beloved horses, so I, I stayed for a while. Yeah. I'm just thinking because that equal opportunity, it only would have been a couple of years that you were on less pay. It would have been fairly soon after that that you would have been on equal pay. Is that right? Yeah, no, mm. as long as I worked there, which wasn't very long, the, the course of the commission, there was no holiday time mm-hmm. or anything. So one of my brothers came down on a ship that was chartered by Phil Burns. And when he heard of all that, he said, he's like, sign on the ship as a stewardess, save money and go back home to Sweden. And that's what I was going to do until I um, met my husband on the ship and he loved Australia from <laughs> then. <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. That's good. Yeah, it's an interesting story about working in stables in 1970 and not having equal pay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. So then I decided, um, as I said, I was working with parking cars. And and then after we got married, we bought a property and I bought a horse. And I thought, why don't I try to get in as an instructor? And it had just come out, it was actually a Swedish colonel that had come out for the question in Australia to set up the whole instructor scheme. So I was in the first block of four to become an, a registered instructor. Mm-hmm. And that's how I then started with that tag to my name uh, to start teach privately. I never went to a riding school, but people, uh, I just go to people's places and, and teach. And it yes. just developed from there and it's been my life since then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. And for someone now who wants to work with horses, now if they ask you, or even someone that you'd like to employ, what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to have? Well, I think that the main thing is that you have to have not just the love for horses, but also the respect. And I, I see it quite a lot. People have an aggression to horses because they're big and strong. Mm. And yet they are they're quite timid animals, so you don't get anywhere if you try to bully them. And I've heard people say, I don't care if I break its back and things like that. And I'm just horrified when I hear that. So I think people have to have the patience to learn from the beginning how to approach them and how they think. And you almost have to think like a horse if you're going to be good at training them and breaking them in and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? Probably the best thing is, apart from being with the horses, is that it's outdoors. Mm-hmm. 
especially in this country. And and because I'm a judge and a coach, I meet a lot of riders. I meet a lot of international judges. And so you meet a lot of different people. And because we all love horses, we are similar. Yeah, yeah. We sort of value similar things. Yes. But I think the most, especially when I'm traveling around judging, I may not have seen a judge for six months or a year. So it's, it's like a get-together again. <laughs> especially with the international judges. Yes, and it is good. You know, people have similar ideas, similar things. You know, it may not be exactly 100%, but just having that similar interest yeah. it does does sort of keep things together, doesn't it? Is there a particular person or people who've helped inspire you, helped you along a bit in your career? I think the first one would be my very first instructor in Sweden. Mm-hmm. He was very, very strict, but he was also very encouraging when you did it right. And he was almost like a father figure for me. I mean, he caught me once smoking a cigarette behind the stable and he whipped me with a lunging whip. Mm-hmm. So he was probably because he was an extremely good rider. And I think the other one is, is a German rider called Rainer Klimke. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, three times Olympic rider. Yep. And uh, he also had that enormous respect and a good outlook on how to train your horse and how not to ruin the walk, for instance, because that's when we judge the young horses, often they have very good walks. And when we then judge them later in life, when they're eight, nine, and 10, they have ruined the walks because they jam them together. And his saying is, I never, ever put a horse on the bit in the walk. So he was, a, you know, I cried when he died, actually, that's mm. how much I thought of him. Yes, yes, I'm sure that, you know, there there was a lot of sadness within the horse world when that happened, yeah. Yeah. What about horses? You know, have there been any horses in particular that have influenced you or a general few? I think the the only horse that I bred, Mm -hmm. he would have to be about 14 years old now, but just having bred him and being there with him from that he was born and I handled him myself. I did everything with him right up to be a good competing horse. And then I had an accident, so I, I sold him to one of my pupils that's a little bit like my daughter. Mm-hmm. And together we got him all the way up to SEI, which is the oh, international good. standard. Yeah. yeah. But he, not just his ability to be a very good dressage horse, but he just had the best temperament because nobody had ever done the wrong thing by him. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was black and white. This is right, this is wrong. And therefore he had this fantastic attitude to, mm. to life and, and to, you know, being able to work well. Yep. So he's probably, his his nickname was Forrest Gump. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. And good that he had that attitude. You know, you've got the opportunity when you breed horses. John McLean is one of our regular guests and he's doing a series of the foals first handling you know, going through to advanced foal handling and then starting to do some yearling preparation. So that's a good one to listen to for anyone else that's got a horse that they've bred or they're thinking about breeding horses. I yeah, think that's yeah. quite beneficial. Yeah. Now, that horse that went on to FEI, was that your proudest moment or have you got something else that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I think my proudest moment was when I became an international judge in mm-hmm. 2001. Yep. Because back then it was a huge, I mean, it still is a big step to be accepted as an international judge. But I think when I came home from New Zealand and I got a letter saying I've been accepted, I thought, wow. Because when you start judging at the lower levels, I just started because 
I thought, well, I expect one or two judges to sit there and judge me without yes. being paid. When it's I sort ride, of giving, giving somebody, back, isn't it? Giving back exactly, into the sport. Exactly, giving back yep. to the sport. Yep. And when I started, I never dreamt I was going to go all the way to international. Yeah. So that was probably one of the proudest moments that I did. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So up until now, you had a challenge. I know working, you know, I'm sure you would have had a couple of challenges. What do you think has been your biggest challenge? I think probably the biggest challenge will always be there with me because to get the riders and all the horses up as high as possible, uh, some you know straight away, both horses and riders, that they're never really going to make it. They don't have the rhythm or whatever. But when you see that it's there, the challenge for me to get the best out of them and that they feel really good after the lesson and... and, um, I think that's probably the biggest challenge. When you actually then get somebody to get to the FEI international state, it's just such a buzz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what would you say if there's a coach out there that's got a potentially FEI rider, FEI horse, you know, they want to do the right thing, what sort of guidance would you give them so that they can continue to train and train that potential, you know, a rider with potential FEI a horse with potential FEI that can go FEI, what would you say to them how they can, you know, if you as a, as a mentor, as a coach mentor almost, you know, to, to help them along the way? I think what has helped my riders immensely and what I suggest every time I'm out judging and I have a writer and mm-hmm. I, I tell them this, that I want all my good riders on safe horses to be able to ride a whole dressage test on the buckle. Yeah, not touching his mouth, mm-hmm. and you know, walk counter counter, walk the whole lot, go come back. Because once they learn to do that, and they honestly only use the reins for communication or slight direction, not to pulling on them. And I think that's the biggest. I can, and the riders that I have that can do that, they get a much stronger core balance, and and of course the horses are much happier. And it's just amazing when I first say to them, you know, one day I want you to hand gallop up the long side and before C, ask the horse to halt without touching his mouth. And they said, I can't do that. That's too dangerous. (laughs) But my good riders can do that. And so Mm. I say to them, but let's just start with three counter strides with the reins forward so you don't touch his mouth for three strides. And then, of course, we build it on that. And one day they can do it and they're just amazed that they can control the horse 100% from the saddle. Yep. Yep. That's good. That's good. I want you to think about you know, taking your riders now on to judging, a common fault that you might see, that you might see as a coach, but then you see as well as a judge? It, it probably is the same thing about the hands and the connection. Mm-hmm. And I was judging yesterday and I saw it often and I commented on it often. They jam the horses up in front so much that they get totally stiff in the back and therefore the hind legs can't come through and work under. Mm. And uh, and. Some, I mean, horses are such nice people. If it was me, I'd probably buck them off if they did that. But most horses don't. You know, they just take it and go there with a hollow back, which must be terribly uncomfortable. Yep. And I often say on my dressage papers, you know, allow more forward elastic contact. And yeah. uh, so th- I think that's the biggest problem that we have. And a lot of riders don't understand what collection is. They think if I pull him in the front end so he has a really short neck, he's collected. Mm, mm, mm. 
Unfortunately, there must be lack of very good trainers as well because we shouldn't see as much of these bad habits as we do. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Is that trainers? Because as the horses progress through the level, what responsibility then do judges have on allowing horses through the level, you know? Because often if riders are doing dressage and they're competing dressage and they are competitive, they might think, oh, well, I'm winning at this level, I'm right to go up to the next level. So what should a judge do if they see a rider and a horse in that situation? You know, they think, oh, well, you're the best horse here on the day, but you're not really ready to go up to that level. What can the judge do to stop that horse going up? Yeah, we have to be honest. Mm. And that a lot of the lower level judges are a bit intimidated by our top riders. Mm-hmm. And they will give them the higher marks, even if another rider had written like that, they wouldn't get the higher marks. That's one of the reasons I wanted to be judge educator. Okay. Because I have photographs and things like that, you know, not with a person on them. But, uh, you know, if you see that with our top Olympian, you've got to mark that down to a four. Mm. You cannot give it a six or a seven. And I think that that honesty, that we really are not afraid of going down or afraid of going up. A lot of judges sit on the five, six, seven and very seldom go to the higher marks and sell them to the lower marks. I actually had Zyder come up to me yesterday after I finished judging and she said, hi, Gisela, I'm so-and-so. I just wanted to thank you. You gave me a 10. I said, oh, what did I give you a 10 for? She said, for my young horse for his walk. And they, you know, very, very few judges would go to a 10. Mm-hmm. But if I sit up there on my 8 or my 9 and think, why not a 10? And if I yes. don't have an answer for that, I will go a 10. Yep. Okay. That's what I wanted to do. And, and also, as I said, if it's a famous rider that does something bad, you go down to a 3 or a 4 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I think we get it right. Yep, yep. You know, you're talking about judges being honest. One of our earlier guests, Philippa Collier, said something like um, being honest as a judge won't make you popular, you know, and there was sort of a bit of correlation there. If you want to be popular, you can't be honest or and be popular both at the same time because sometimes within your honesty, people aren't ready then to accept that, but you've still got to be honest. Yeah, and, and I think... The very good riders that will make it to the Olympics, they know that you've been honest. Mm -hmm. And even if that puts them in third or fourth position, you know, I have had top riders come up to me and say, thanks for being on you. The only one that saw what the problem I had. Ah, Okay. So I think they respect it. I would never judge with the opinion, I'd like them to ask me again because I'm such a nice judge. Mm -hmm. And even when people say to me, you know, that they're just children, you've got to mark them higher. And I said, no, I don't. Mm. If you're a child and you play tennis, you are judged exactly the same as McEnroe. Yes. Right? It's the yes. same thing. You have to be judged on how you handle that horse. And if it's good, you're up there. If not, then, and I always make sure I tell them why. Mm. Why I give them a low mark. And I try and in the end, we've got a little bit we can write at the end. Yeah. I always yep. try to give them one or two things that, that's where you need to work, being in yes. contact or being whatever. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's good feedback, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has to be good feedback. Yeah, yeah, so then they can still learn from that. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think especially when we're out in the country judging, mm. we have to do that because they may not have a coach. They might yep. just go home and train after what the judge has said. Yes, you might be the only feedback that they get. Exactly, and yeah. if the judge says good, 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 well, they're going to continue the way they're doing. And not only that, a good coach is going to ask the rider to have a look at their test to see what the judge is yeah. seeing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think out in the country, the many riders don't even have a coach. Mm. They might mm. have a coach coming in twice a year for a week or two. Yes. But not like here in Sydney, we can all have a regular coach. Yeah, yeah. Just like, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners to complement their training? Yes, I have. One is called Alvis, which is Rainer Klinker's course. Yep. That is a brilliant book. And the other one is an old book called Riding Logic. Okay, yes. I don't know if you remember that. that I was do. Probably in the 70s as well. Those two are probably the best books that I can think of. And, of course, the Dressout Handbook, if you, yeah. that's, if you either as a rider or as a judge. Yeah. Because it explains exactly what is a 10, what is a 4, what is a 3. Mm. So mm. if you're not 100% sure, you could look at the handbook and find, okay, with that fall, I've got to come down or I've got to come up. Yep, yep, yep. So they're the three that I think are very good. I think the three of them, particularly the handbook, you know, I think that the handbook's one yeah. of our more popular ones, yeah. And those books are available on the Horse Chats website as well. Oh, that's, that's A list of which ones are the most popular. I think it goes the most popular and then all the way down and then links through to people that, so that they can buy them. Jessica, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? Well, being the age I am, my future is probably soon to retire from Dessage because by the time you're 70, you can't judge internationally anymore. Okay. Do you think you'll still keep judging locally, though, interstate? Because you, when you're good at something, it's it's such a shame if you're going to stop just because you reach a certain age when you've got so much to offer anyway. Yeah, no, I, I probably will continue, you know, within, but... I'd, I'd be thinking about it because I spent a lot of weekends away, so I may yep. not accept as many judging positions sure. as I have up to now, but I probably won't stop cold, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing, I've just started teaching my grandson, six-year-old, uh, oh, to perfect. start riding on one of my pupils' ponies, and yeah. he just loves it. So I really hope it's mm-hmm. going to pass down to him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it sounds like you're going to be doing a bit more coaching and coaching him and uh, cut down a yeah. bit on the judging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Gisela, can you summarise your philosophy with horses in a couple of sentences, please? Yeah. So I, I think it all comes back to the respect and also that I think everybody that handles the right horses should learn to listen to them. Mm-hmm. They, they always try to tell us what is wrong or what is right. But if we don't try to learn to hear that and understand them, so I think the philosophy, if you really want to get the most, like a best friend in horses, when they do something that might be pleasant or not pleasant, try to figure out what it is you're saying, right? Yep, yep. So that you learn all the time, you learn. And my son, when he was little, he used to say to me, Mum, how come you can talk to all the animals? And it's (laughs) one of the biggest compliments I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he thought that I actually could do it when he was little. So, but it's what I, I try to do and it's all the time listen to what are they trying to communicate to me. Mm, mm, mm. And hopefully most of the time is that I'm happy here. Yes, yes. Yeah. If they can say that, then that's good feedback for you then, isn't it? You know, as a trainer. As yeah. A, yep, yep. yeah, and I say that 
to all my pupils, you know, whenever you say good boy to your horse, make sure you pat yourself on the head because you were the one that caused him to be good. Yes. It was yes. only through your riding or your training. So whenever you say good boy, I'm good too. I mm. did that. Take mm. a little pride of that because I think we're all very strict on ourselves. It's easy to not easy to praise, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right, just like, how can people contact you? Probably through Death as New South Wales Judges List mm-hmm. or, or EA's Coaches List. Yeah, and we'll have those details as well on our website, which will be horsechats.com slash Gisela Nilsson Harding, or else just go to horsechats.com and search for Gisela. I'm just thinking that's G I S E L A, but the Harding, I think if that's an easy one to spell if you if you um <laughs> spell Harding. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find that okay. All right. Gisela, wonderful talking to you today. I think very interesting. I really liked your point of view, you know, from the judges and about judges being honest, not worrying about being popular, you know, and just giving the riders the right feedback, but also, you know, the way that you like within your training to give the horses the right feedback. I think that's been very good. So thank you for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Okay, and you will put Gisela Nielsen Harding, won't you? Yes, we'll put down horsechats.com slash Gisela Nielsen Harding. But if someone goes and just searches for Harding, They'll find your interview. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'll see what you said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for that. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 